0: All right, welcome back to Conversations of the Leaky Cauldron, episode 10, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, chapters 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12, respectively, the Ministry of Magic, the Hearing, the Woes of Mrs. Weasley, Luna Lovegood, Lasordain Hat's new song, Professor Umbridge, welcome back, Miss Sarah, Sarah Miller, excuse me, getting a little bit, seeing the future, I suppose, in some way or another, and Mr. Wesley Shantz, welcome back, Sarah, welcome back, Wes, how
1: you guys doing?
2: Oh, well, and welcome back to you, too, uh, from your trip. Thank you very much.
1: Yeah, how are Glad you be doing, back. Alex?
0: You know, I'm uh, it's sort of a bad mood right now. I've been frustrated with a few things, but that said, I am a professional, and we do this professionally, and I'm looking to have uh, a great time with all of you. But I suppose, uh, really, I'm just getting in character trying to do my best Harry Potter impression, because, wow, he continues to be angry, and... Well, like you said last time, Sarah, it seems like it's more and more justified because, gosh, didn't we meet an ugly toad of a person, that terrible Dolores Umbridge. But I don't want to get too ahead of myself. Uh, I will mention a couple Latin words. Umbridge, of course, comes from umbra, shadow. And to take umbrage as some means to take offense, often illegitimately. Interesting what she might suggest about our culture at this time and her sort of legislative capacity to affect education um also connecting that with Rita Skeeter and sort of the narrative that Skeeter has put forth against Harry I don't know I I sort of uh, especially with some of the issues I talk to uh Wes about with with education and particular media narratives I really am connecting with this text right now I'm really feeling some of the weight of the unfairness of this world at this moment and when I see this levied at harry with the the power of the pin working against him the power of the legislature working against him when all he's trying to do is to convince people of what's true i I, i'd say i really really empathize with him right now but well first and foremost how about this ministry of magic how about this expulsion letter and hearing letter we got from harry how about dumbledore showing up how about mrs weasley and her sort of combat with Sirius black what what are y'all thinking about here what are y'all thinking about here
2: I well I mean I I definitely want to talk about Umbridge a bit but before we get to her uh the ministry the first thing that struck me on this read of that was um the way that Arthur Weasley's uh office is like Harry Potter's old room back at um uh, the you know back in the very beginning of the book um and like their their relationship I think is just so so sweet, you know, like, um, Arthur Weasley, what a, what a great guy. Like, I feel like we overlook him sometimes, but he's, he's the prince. Um, and, uh, and, and, the, the, the attempt to like, you know, move the location and, and switch the time on them is just so underhanded and petty. And it's just like, of course that doesn't work. Come on guys.
0: And it's because he's, well, and just to mention Arthur, the reason why we find out that he's not moved up in the ministry isn't because of his skills, but his values. It's precisely because the claim is made that Cornelius Fudge is like Lucius Malfoy, somebody who believes in pure-bloodedness. And we get that also with Umbridge, who, surprise, surprise, is actually herself, I think, a half-blood. And so very very interesting uh, what, what sort of denotations or connotations those have. But again, it, it is... Precisely, Mr. Weasley's love for those who are different from him that has kept him from careering up uh, the ministry. It, it, we, we don't actually have a good idea of actually how wealthy or how skilled he could be based on it and how much wealth he could accrue based on his skill if he did not believe in muggles. Um, I had always thought that he was like sort of a funny like scientist type who just kind of cared about muggles and not about his career, but it, it does seem like he made he is making sort of a political statement. He is taking a stand and he seems to understand that um what he is doing will keep him from will keep him from moving up the ladder, will also be a burden on his family, but he seems to think it's more important even than um providing more for his family. Which, to me, rather than being a lack of character, indicates to me tremendous integrity. Sort of like what you're saying, calling him a prince.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, what do you think, Sarah?
1: Oh no, I was. I mean, I fully agree. I love Mr. Weasley. I I think um, you hit the nail on the head, Alex. Just this idea that I think what Malfoy, or not Draco, excuse me, what Lucius Malfoy represents. Um, we learn that he gives money kind of <laughs> like, uh, you know, corporate donations through super PACs to, um, uh, to Cornelius Fudge and to the ministry. And that, that gets him access, like access to the minister that other people might not have. And, um, you know, when you make that those kinds of ends, your um, your horizon, like power or money, um, those are never ending, right? Like they become the green light at the end of the dock that you're never gonna get, uh, get your hands on. And the result is, I think we see like Lucius Malfoy be, uh, you know, like step on other people to get places. Um, and Harry, I think, it's funny because Harry experiences the indignation of it, right? Like, I think it's in chapter eight where he's like, "How could it be that someone who was, you know, in the graveyard with him is standing and having a, a you know, brief tête-à-tête tete with the minister, and that seems wrong." And it seems like Mister Weasley has isn't as agitated by it, you know? Like, I think that that's maybe the mark of. Somebody who understands that there are unfairness, there's unfairness in the world, and like, right. um, and doesn't let the resentment that comes from that, um, ex- that discovery, um, keep them from living according to whatever it is they've determined their truth or their north star, or their principles are. Like I, I, to me, that just seems like extremely difficult and mature. Of course, he's older, so something we can expect from him but anyway um he doesn't seem to be filled with resentment
0: right and that resonates with me quite a bit because you're helping me to see that he's sort of a character model for harry here and he has also been given the short end of the stick due to his better values due to his clear values due to his not career not um bribing the minister not doing that which would push him up um towards the top echelon and and he gets it. He gets how the ministry works. He he handles the moving up of the hearing. What was it, three hours? Very well, understanding this is the sort of thing that the ministry does. And so perhaps here we've called him a figure of the father for Harry, and sort of one of the positive father figures. And I think I think he is becoming far more robust, rather than sort of a bumbling, um, a bottom bottom tier. Um, bottom tier ministry official he he he's seeming far more like a i don't know a shining example of the right sort of person during the wrong sort of time um who Mm -hmm. who, through his own example can highlight some of the darknesses and errors and and um mistakes of a system and that it rewards people like lucius malfoy who is himself a death eater and has the ear of a prejudiced minister who is attempting to discredit a young boy who had witnessed something terrible at this moment and he's on his side and perhaps he's a he's a figure of the father for me too with my own personal frustration my own harry like moments but what did y'all think about this hearing the fact that there was a hearing that they were so quick that the ministry was so quick to expel harry that Mm um uh umbridge's behavior dumbledore coming and speaking the squib that we didn't know about Uh, what were your all what were y'all's feelings what were your thoughts about this very litigious moment we have seen the wise before in the Pinseed, but this is the first time we've had to experience its gaze
2: Yeah, yeah the the way that harry has to uh you know go in there all alone um and uh and sort of be faced by the 50 members of the like high court of the wizarding world is uh, is it's, it's kind of over the top. Um, And, you know, they're, they're clearly like taking it very seriously. And so I love that, you know, they just cut him off as he's trying to tell his side of the story. And there's like 10 in a row of just like, yes, but yes, but yes, but it's like, it's so frustrating, even as a reader, to try to read that, um, that part. And, uh, and it's kind of creepy how um, Umbridge is introduced where we don't even like see her face. She is like literally in shadow at first before she like emerges. Mm-hmm. And it's like this awful description. Uh, like she's got the, the bow on her head, like a, like a fly or something, right? Like perched there. And that her toad-like self is going to eat
0: as a snack later.
2: Yeah. So she's the fly and the toad. It's, it's great. Yeah. And, um, and you know, she does sort of like consume herself in the end. So it's, it's interesting, but the, um, you know, the counterpart to her though, is this, uh, this bones character. And so she's like, you know, she's actually kind of, uh, straight ahead. And we, we find out like her brother, was it like died heroically or or something? He's in the picture that, um, Mad-Eye shows Harry in one of these chapters. So like she's, she's okay, but she's, you know, within this kind of corrupt organization, she's uh, she's sort of trying to do things by the book, you know, and um, she seems to put up the, the kind of resistance that you'd like to see from the institution, like against its own worst inclinations maybe. Like as long as there's 50 members of this high court, like somebody's going to be sane, right? And, and at least you know, over half of them do prove to be um, okay in the end. So it's, it works out. But I think maybe only because of, you know, Dumbledore's sort of miraculous intervention here, like, uh, like he tends to do. He's just, he's just so wise. He just knows like by heart, all of these statutes and, and just makes fools out of uh, Fudge and, and the and the more negatively inclined members of the court.
0: Yeah, Sarah, what did you think of Dumbledore's presence there? It was almost like a welcome relief when he finally showed up. It's like, and it's interesting how it prefigures potentially him not being there because it it was very much like a moment when we first saw the Patronus cast in front of the Dementors in the third book and Harry thought it was his father. It's like a protective veil hits us when is there. It's like nothing will go wrong when he is there. Mm. And that does seem to be sort of how it goes, but it does not... It almost does not go that way with the collective force of both Fudge and Umbridge. And they seem so in the wrong. And yet Dumbledore's power does also seem to have some limits, even though he has ridden many of these statues, knows these statues is an excellent debater and, and does win. It's not a, it is not an invincible victory that he has here. It is not a flawless victory. It, it seems to prefigure it almost suggests to me a prefiguration of the fact that Dumbledore will be gone at some point, and we will have to deal with an even bigger mess than this what did did you see any of that this in this hearing? What did you see? what did you feel Sarah
1: yeah, I mean I think um that's a great way of of putting it that Dumbledore is like a uh, you know a, a a living Patronus of some kind for harry um he does right. um you know sort of come out of nowhere and we get his full full name for the first time in the series. Like, I don't know what um, Wolfric means, but you know, Percival is one of his middle names, which reminds me of the Knights of the Round Table.
0: Yes, the
1: um, one that finds the grave, I believe
0: is Percival. Yeah, some-
1: um, Brian reminds me of um, like Celtic mythology. Um, hmm. You know, someone, you know, rugged, um, sometimes in and sometimes out. I mean, a lot of Celtic heroes are um, uh, people who are, you know, they're raised away from civilization, but they end up saving civilization or they save the town, but they are not welcome in the town. Um, uh, they, anyway, um, and then I I just, um, I bring that up because I think that, that Dumbledore is an interesting Example of um, someone who is clearly um, a part of their society and of their institution, but is like the thorn in the side that um, that that like the people in the quote unquote positions of power don't want around. And it, it's funny because we learn that he's been expelled from a variety of positions. You know, the the daily prophet is um, accusing him. Um, of being, you know, losing his marbles, of of, of growing old and dotty or whatever, but um, he doesn't seem to really be putting up a fight in the way, like, he's not saying, no, I'm not, I swear I'm not, trust me, trust me, he's instead just, like, doing the things that they are saying that he can't do anymore, and kind of letting the evidence of his own behavior speak for himself, for itself, the way he he lets the evidence of Miss Mrs. Figg's testimony, for example, speak for itself. He's not like overly protesting. And I think that's something that like maybe scares Harry, right? Like there's there's a, a point in the hearing where Dumbledore basically says, yeah, yeah, laws can be changed, but that's not what we're here to discuss. Um, you know, all we have to do is just like, wait for your verdict. Um, uh, he's been charged with a specific offense. He's presented his defense. All he and I can do is await your verdict. And Harry's reaction is, um, he was not at all sure that Dumbledore was right in telling the, uh, wiz- whatever, the and gamut or whatever, in effect, that it was about time they made a decision. You know, like, it's, I think this book presents us with a lot of um, models of resistance. And, uh, you know, there's, there's going to be resistance within Hogwarts. There's resistance to, um, uh, there's internal resistance and turmoil and tension. There's the order of the Phoenix. There's, um, uh, there's just a variety of, there's S-P-E-W. There's a variety of ways in which people are resisting. And one of the ways that I think we would think about resisting naturally is to like very vocally say, you're wrong and this is the truth and i know and you should trust me and um it's almost like the actual doing or the the becoming of an action is more proof than the language describing it ever could be um and i think he's wise enough to understand that but that's also paralleled when we're told that they're only going to read about the defense against the dark arts you're not going to they're not going to learn by doing anything right and that seems to to really like upset the students but also strike us as like ooh, big misfire that like language alone is insufficient um anyway that's what right. i thought
0: and you make me also think when you say that he leaves it in the hand of the court of law when he simply presents the options that that's also evidence for him being again another sort of archetype of god the father and that he allows for an organization to be corrupt or not corrupt in this and in this particular instance, though, uh, I would say it was evidence of corruption that they drew the entire Wisingamut to uh, observe and try Harry after this sort of noble defense of Dudley, where they do not listen to his account at all, and just uh, levy accusations at him in line with the Rita Skeeter narrative of him, which has become more and more subtle, right? That's something we find out, that Hermione tells us that you know Harry's name is just slowly being libelously slandered by this um, Daily Prophet. This something you brought up last time, Wes. That uh, Harry's sort of too overcome by emotion and anger to get the hints around him. But what what Dumbledore here allows is sort of like what God allows in, in God the Father in Eden is that He allows the organization to fall. He sort of retreats away from it, sort of like the figure of the divine in the Old Testament, and allows the humans to get to it, and uh, ultimately it will be the humans like Harry who are going to have to fix the problem as well. Um, It will be, in response to what you said there, Sarah, it's again, sort of like Harry having to take on the role of James, take on the role of his father, and that he's going to have to take on the role of being a teacher, and and, and it turns out he has quite a bit to teach Mm -hmm. from his experience with the dark arts, quite opposite from Dolores Umbridge. He is himself a half-blood, just as she is, his mother being muggle-born. Um, but he's taken a totally different route. He, he, he fights for the oppressed. He fights for the downtrodden. He is friend to those to, uh, whom he chooses to be friends with, regardless of what Malfoy says in the first book about the right sword, he can make that choice for himself. But this Umbridge figure, she's, she's foul. She's toad-like. She, she reminds me of the description of Thersides. We get very few physical descriptions in her. Mm-hmm. Whom- One of them is of the ugliest man, Thersites, who knows many words but speaks disordered, hated most by Achilleus and Odysseus, the strong, the most accomplished people. And so, uh, well, before we get too much in, I do want to ask whether she is in some way a foil to Harry, but I also want to ask about a new character who I feel like, uh, Wes, you probably like just because of your affinity for Neville. And, and this is luna lovegood and you know she can see these things we'll soon call her thestrals too and i you know on the one hand it makes me feel good for harry that he has somebody that understands him and we'll soon find out that that's because she's known death in the same way that he has but man this is not necessarily the first person you would want on your side if you wanted to establish legitimacy, credibility, and um, mental aptitude and mental uh, and clarity of mind. This this Luna, how how do you feel about how she's introduced? What do you think she means or she represents? Uh, do you like her, um, or is that me just projecting onto you? Which I apologize for, if so. But I do feel like I know you to some extent, but perhaps I don't even know myself. Um, which is something funny I said in the airport the other day they the 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 airport person said or you know came came over the intercom and said uh don't accept anything from someone you don't know and I said to my girlfriend but what if I don't even know myself she's still been laughing about that for the last few days but in any case back to Luna Wes what do you think of her
2: oh man that's that's like meme meme worthy right there Alex that's good oh <laughs> thank you <laughs> I like I like Luna. She's uh, presented in a, a pretty cool way, um, kind of bookended by death, right? Like we just see um, Mrs. Weasley freaking out at the bogart. It's like the last thing we see in the previous chapter after the right. party, like goes so horribly wrong for Harry when he sees that sad picture, you know. And then, and then she, of course, can see the Thestrals, although we don't know their names yet. Um, she like reassures Harry that he's just as sane as she is. And, you know, that's (laughs) obviously uh, supposed to be pretty funny. And I think it is like, but then again, you know, in a, in a sick society, which the wizarding world seems to be at this point, somebody who's a little off might actually be like the healthiest person there. Right. Like, Like, you know, they, they might actually kind of know some stuff and, you know, she's like reading the quibbler and Hermione who's been a pretty down. good yeah a pretty good voice of reason so far is like well the quibbler that's rubbish and you know maybe it is mostly but again like it's it's onto something it's like it's the weird thing within this weird world which when you do the the multiplication out like the negatives you know cross out and you get a positive again so it's like by going weird enough you you get to the truth somehow um and she's really seems to be like a very honest person, like more than anything else. That's what sort of strikes me. Like mm. you just say, she'll just say stuff, you know, like it's not like, it's a little awkward. Maybe she's like a little uh, um, off-putting in some ways, but but she'll say what she really thinks. And that's like the most refreshing thing possible at this point in, in the wizarding world, right? Like, so I, yeah, I think she's she's pretty cool. I like that she's paired immediately with Neville. Uh, obviously, that seems like good, uh, like that bodes well. Um, and uh, and I and I really like that moment when Neville's showing off his uh, mumbles some mimbletonia and it squirts everywhere, and then Cho comes in. <laughs> I love that part. <laughs> part so far, yeah. Isn't that just perfect?
0: Isn't that just perfect to that moment? It's Neville. Neville! <laughs> Of all the foolhardy things to do, well, Sarah, what do you think of this Luna Lovegood? Do you connect her to the introduction of Umbridge in any way? Do you see her as a character with great integrity? Is there some magic to the honesty of her? Is she connected to Mr. Weasley in that respect? What do you think of this new character who's reading the Quibbler? Quibbler, of course, comes from Latin Quibus, um, uh, uh, which which means, uh, I'm forgetting exactly, like the things which, um, but, you know, the idea of quibbling is to argue about things that do not really matter, right? And so perhaps that's mm. what we do when we're talking about these, this place of flying boars, this place of the imagination. or huh? Perhaps it's, perhaps it's not. I don't know. Sarah, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I love Luna. I think she might be um, my favorite, like, supporting character. I, I appreciate Neville for sure. Yeah, for sure. Uh, of the students. Um, I think I, well, I really like Fred and George, um, as a supporting, as supporting student characters, but I think, I think Luna is my favorite. And I think one of the things that we said earlier about, um, uh, about Mr. Weasley is true in like a really unvarnished way for Luna, that they have a sense of who they are. Um, they don't, uh, they do not trumpet their abilities. Um, they have enormous strength that the rest of the world is free to either uh, accept and welcome or reject. But the the um, include in like they're being included into um, the so-called mainstream of society doesn't necessarily affect how they see themselves. Doesn't necessarily affect their self worth. I love how confident she is. Um, I think it is. So refreshing, um, mostly because I think it's really authentic, Um, and it's it to me is like it it highlights that there's there's an odd duck in every bunch, right? Um, There are kids in every class who march to the beat of their own drum, and you know, excuse the cliche, but that's her. And I think uh, her um, honesty, like you said, honesty for her is her way of, um, of being different. And, uh, it's so uncommon in adolescence, but you know, in the, in the world, in the magical world right now, it's extremely uncommon. Um, and it's, I think it's interesting that like her dad's magazine purports to, you know, tell the real truth and some of that stuff is totally crazy. Right. But it, you know, they also believe Harry. And as readers, we believe Harry. So are we then meant to start asking questions about all of the other things that the, that the the quibbler posits as true or as false? You know, like if they, if they happen onto one true thing, um, do we then have to, I think it, I think it forces us to ask questions about like, what is the source of truth? right and and do they have access to that and and if so how and why and um anyway i i i love her character i think it is i think i think she's great one of the things i also like about her is that she's not from gryffindor and that i think she right. um represents the opening of their social circle and like the the way the sorting hat talks about you know how the hat feels almost a shame that they have to divide to split the students um I think she's an opportunity for Harry to um uh you know grow and like you know feel like I I I think for a, a kid like Harry who's feeling so alienated in so many ways um I think that the only way out of feeling like that, the only way out of being broken is to stand with other people who are broken in similar ways and um, find, you know, does I don't know if that makes any sense, but I, I think she's like a, a real opportunity for him to learn the heart of what separates people like Mr. Weasley and people like Mr. Malfoy or Voldemort Right. People like Dumbledore and people like Voldemort. Luna is his chance to learn that by doing. And he's going to stumble a little bit and be kind of judgmental or whatever. But, you know, I I think that that's how he learns what the difference is, because it's really easy to be a good friend to people who believe who are like nice to you or who are just like you or who who are in the in group. And Harry even has trouble doing that, obviously, because she's such a cranky little fifteen-year-old right now. But you know, bugger, he, cra- I think, cranky little bugger, <laughs> as they would say. Yeah, I, I, just, I think she's a, she's a great canvas uh, for the novel, um, and that's why I like her. I also think she's funny.
0: Um, yeah, but, and I think you know what's sort of interesting, just uh, from a, you know, we're all teachers from sort of a touching. Point of view is that obviously part of why she's so weird and Neville is so weird is because she seems to have witnessed her own mother's death. She's raised by her father mm-hmm. and in the same way that Neville is aware of his parents having been tortured into insanity. And it's almost as if Harry can sort of sense something with them. He does seem to have some bond with them. He has known death and seeing death directly in front of him now multiple times, and witnessed it in his own dreams. He shares something with them, and so in some way they are also like him. They are stranger than he is, where he is more defiant and seems to have—I uh, wouldn't say a stronger character, but he seems to have a very strong personality. You know, even when he's angry, there's some justice to it. It seems to be due to some injustice either to him. Or someone else, but uh, I want to I want to pivot and ask you too about Ron and Hermione becoming prefects. How about that? Most unexpected to me. And then I think we should read uh, this new song together, though it is a bit long. Um, maybe we can even take turns. But what do you think about that, Ron? Of all people, we never thought he'd uh, seemed seemed so unlikely that he might uh, ever stand out in some way above. Harry, and yet here we have him prefect just like percy just like i was it bill or charlie before him who was also a head boy i think it was charlie right uh i'm not sure it was one of them um and yeah so i wanted to ask you all about that that this further distinction between the three of them and that harry finds himself again excluded just like he's excluded from the order of the phoenix just like he's been excluded from the wizarding world just like he's sort of um treated differently even now within the wizarding world. Now he's even, there's a small exclusion from his friends. And they even keep getting taken away from him too, right? And the Hogwarts Express, they have to sit in a different carriage for a time. And then they're going to have additional responsibilities during the course of the year. And this even shines a different light on Fred and George too. They've been sort of, you know, sort of naively funny to us the first four books. But now we I think we also start to see a little bit of darkness in their character, a little defiance. That as an authority figure would be a little frustrating to deal with. It helps me empathize with Mrs. Weasley a little better, frankly speaking. But I do want to ask about that. What what do you think of two of the three friends now prefects? Harry sort of left out of the loop.
2: I I um I thought it was interesting. Like maybe the most deceitful thing Harry's done ever is to be like, you know, try to be happy and sound happy and and hearty is the word I guess it uses. Like, he uses this really fake voice to try to congratulate uh, Hermione, especially. And, And when Ron comes back, it sort of goes away a little bit to his great relief. You know, he's like able to be a little more natural with Ron, but he, like, it clearly really sticks in his craw and like makes him false to himself. Although he knows like the right response here is to be happy for his friends. He doesn't really feel it in this moment. Like, he's just really not... Happy, But he fakes it. And, and it's so, I mean, it's so similar to the way that Umbridge's voice is like so horribly, uh. put, you know, that it just really, oh, man, that's, yeah, that's, that's the weirdest moment about the whole prefect thing. Like, I feel like the whole thing could be just a way to get Harry to do that, you know, like, that's that. And yeah, your point about Fred and George, like it does push him closer to those two and he, like, actually does them a solid by, like, scaring um, Mundungus Fletcher a little bit, and they get a better deal on his um his stink bomb things or whatever that he's got, like, which are illegal, right? And, like, they really could get in a lot of trouble, and Harry stands to get in a lot of trouble for having funded all their shenanigans at this point. And he's, like, again, being deceitful and, and steering conversations away from that stuff. So, yeah, it's, it's quite interesting how the, the thing kind of cleaves between um, – you know Hermione and Ron arguing all the time, really cutely, and her, and Harry just like being angry and like sulking in the
1: North Tower. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah, yeah, Sarah. I mean, yeah. I, yeah, uh, when this happened, when this happened, I remembered, I remembered it from reading it ages ago, and I was kind of struck by the the scenes in the chapter um I think it's it's um the woes of Mrs Weasley though I could be wrong um yeah I think it's like my book page 151 and 152 where he starts to wonder like did he really think he was um like was he as arrogant as Drake Malfoy um did did he think himself superior to everyone else? Did he really believe he was better than Ron? No, said the small voice defiantly. Was that true? Harry wondered, anxiously probing his own feelings. I'm better at quidditch, said the voice, the voice, but I'm not better at anything else. Um, and then he, he starts to think about all the things that he did without them, which is interesting because those are the things that, that they bring up as why he should become their teacher. Um, uh, uh in like defensive defensive magic but um i just i think it's interesting how he's like acknowledging that there are voices inside of him that separate him from his friends that make him feel like he maybe was above them in some way he's like resentful that he's not really at the center of their lives anymore all the time and i mean I suppose that's something that everybody has to learn that, that other people have their own lives and their own dreams and their own dimensions, and just because they're your friend doesn't mean they're, like, a supporting role in the play of your life, and that's all they are, right, like, I don't know, I think, I thought it was interesting um, that he wasn't selected, but I also thought, like, I've been so negative about Ron as I reread these stories (laughs) Um, that like uh, part of me was sort of like, okay, you go, you go brother. Like, um, you know, but why on God's, I understand why Dumbledore would make Hermione prefect a she's like already very well disposed to it. Like going over and talking to Fred and George about putting up the, um, advertisements for testing their um very dangerous uh, yes. candy um that's like in her wheelhouse right and she probably would have done it with or without the prefect badge. um but like when like ron yells at the the first years he calls them midgets like and he talks about abusing his power with malfoy like my thought when i read that was like did Dumbledore give Ron the badge because Ron needs to grow into it in a way that maybe Hermione doesn't? Um, Like when you give a student a a responsibility because it's just a little bit beyond them and they need to learn to rise to the occasion, you know, like, is that a way of, of, like, holding a standard really high for a kid to rise to? That's the only justification I can think for putting Ron in that position. I mean, I think we learn later why he didn't give the badge to Harry, but um, I do think it's interesting. You know, they didn't give it to Neville. He didn't give it to Seamus or Dean or, you know, um, any of the other Gryffindor boys. I assume they exist, but um, I don't know. I th- thought that was interesting. Dean seems like a good option, um, Dean Thomas.
0: So, yeah, I, th- I think I that's know. interesting too because it's funny – um, because it does sort of open the door to Ron getting to his mirror of Arasaid ultimate ideal as head boy at some point. Though I think it will obviously be, it would obviously be Hermione that would be head girl um, at this point in the game, but that he could make the Quidditch team and potentially be captain and also be head boy. But I also take your point in stride about about Ron finally getting something and not just having the negative portrayed. He's, he's sort of lost his value since the first book when he was sort of psychopomp to the magical world, telling us, informing us about this and that. And I suppose in the, in the early chapters of the Goblet of Fire, he was also teaching us about the Quidditch World Cup to some extent, but um, I really take your point that Harry has been completely identified with the archetype of the hero, right? Um, he's the one. Always, he defeats Voldemort. He fights Voldemort in the first book, a version of him in the second. Um, uh, uh, His servant in the third, plus the Dementors in the fourth, him himself. Uh, He makes the Quidditch team. He wins fairly frequently in Quidditch. And now things are starting to go wrong. And it's like he's shifting out of that purely heroic um, role and becoming more human. And in becoming more human, he's experiencing more sort of Flaws and failures, right? He's not just the pure boy who lived. Now he's the guy who is not the prefect, uh, and who witnessed something terrible and is having some anger issues and is having his name um libeled or, or slandered libelously. And even his boy Seamus uh has a very low opinion of him at this point, has accepted the narrative. Um, and his mother's opinion of the narrative. And uh, Harry, you know, Harry ends up saying something to him about his mother that Ron says, Harry wouldn't say that sort of thing. We met his, your mother. We liked her. Um, but I also think, and I, I wanted to ask you too about this, that does put him sort of on par with his father, James, and with Sirius. And one would almost imagine that Sirius, like Fred and George, would be proud of Harry for this, for sort of his unofficial sort of getting in trouble capacity, keeping him from becoming a a prefect. But he doesn't seem to have thought that that would ever be an issue. But it almost strikes me as a negative that Sirius thinks this is a positive as we continue to see Sirius develop in sort of the fun uncle, though not necessarily responsible uncle role. Um, So uh, I suppose my question is, does this put Harry one step closer to being like a Sirius or, or, or a James? Um, is he, I suppose, becoming less like just a general, typical, archetypal hero and more like a real person, more like a full, substantial character and also potentially one that um, I hesitate to say that Sirius and James make the wrong choices, but certainly some things in their lives do not go right. And it's hard to say why, exactly. We could say Voldemort, um, but, but they're, I don't know, given the information we will learn, especially in the sixth book about them, it's, in, it's unclear to me exactly how we're supposed to feel about Sirius and, and James exactly, and whether it is a good thing if Harry finds himself on par with them or following in their footsteps.
2: I mean, I, I like that Sirius, you know, accompanies him in the form of the dog. Although it's really dangerous, and it seems like um, the Malfoys probably know, you know, like they they see through it based on what Draco says. Uh, Draco says uh, you know he'll dog your your footsteps or whatever, right? Um, these these kind of little subtle hints that they um, that they're watching Harry are, are pretty creepy but yeah maybe justified since harry is following in some you know uh illustrious footsteps and the i guess the the problem with um like making harry more of a human being or, or something like that uh does seem like it can only happen one way right like to to get him to be a more um fully realized character he can't do that by by getting better you know he can only do that by <laughs> by getting worse. They're making some mistakes and, and being kind of a jerk and all that sort of thing. That That's how it looks to me anyway. So I think, you know, maybe that's to an extent uh, Rowling having like painted herself into a corner a little bit, having to kind of uh, let Harry do some messed up stuff kind of suddenly, but maybe, you know, she just kind of arranges this book um, or the series rather as a, as a kind of like, you know, inquiry into what a hero really looks like. for for this uh, time and place.
1: Yeah, I thought that's a really great way to end that, Wes. That's what exactly what I was thinking of, is that, you know, I sort of taught, you know, a a version of the hero cycle while we were reading A Wizard of Earthsea this year. And then again, thinking about it in terms of The Odyssey and even Catcher in the Rye. And um, I think one of the, the, now I'm not an expert in the the Hero with a Thousand Faces or Joseph Campbell or any of that. But I think one of the, the places that it, that it struggles is that a lot of the cycle as it's described has to do with things that happen to the hero, right? And things that they are able to achieve or do in certain places. But it doesn't really um, require um, like an internal, um, I mean, maybe if there are moments that require internal reckoning. Right. There's a moment of reconciliation and atonement and um, transformation and uh, becoming godlike and all of that. But, you know, I guess, I guess maybe it's more important for this series that he not be this, that he, that Harry not be this hero that is unreachable, but rather be this hero that is imminently reachable um, or uh, um a a character with whom we can empathize just as much as there are things about his experience that we could we hope we never have to empathize with um that it has to be sort of a a paradox of of those two things kind of both being true in, in the same body um i i don't know if that if that sort of answers your question alex or um that makes a lot of sense. It reminds
0: me of the sort of doxology in the in Christian theology, the difference between sort of the transcendent conceptions of the divine and the imminent conceptions yeah. of the divine, that this provides a sense of imminence for Harry. Rather than being that figure that is so far beyond us that we could never compare, he is now being reduced down to size. And in being reduced down to size to human proportions, he becomes um, more familiar and, and um, if he can overcome these negatives in his life and these perceived negatives and can return to um, sort of equilibrium and find the honesty within himself and, and find it within himself to stop being so angry at everybody, including his friends, including for the good things that have happened to, him, uh, to them because they are always the first people to be happy for him. Ron has some issues with envy, of course, being, you know, a boy alongside Harry, which Hermione does not have to deal with. Also herself having her own, you know, sort of distinctions that she receives and also being an only child. And so not having to compete for affection and attention in the same way that that Ron does. But, um, you know, they are in general, usually very, very happy for him. And Hermione, again, shows her depth of character, I think by, I think at least twice telling Harry that he needs to stop biting their heads off because they are his friends and they are on his side and he needs to be treating them like friends. I mean, he's forgetting some very basic things in his anger, which also I think tells us a little bit about a anger. And I think Rowling really writes Mm an angry young man extremely well. I mean, having been a pretty angry young man and still being, you know, pretty given over to the way of Mars myself, um, (laughs) she she, nail on the head i would say um uh but but unless we have more to say about that how about would y'all like to conclude by reading this song of the sorting hat or discussing it because i don't know if we have time for both tonight
1: what do you think wes i think i mean i think discussing it we might be able to to read a good chunk of it as we do so. But um, sure. so, right? yeah,
0: so, so the first thing we find out about it is that the Sorting Hat always sings a different song and Ron suggests, well, it has a year to do it. So, you know, it might as well do something with its time sitting, you know, uh, in, on a bookshelf in the back of Dumbledore's beautiful office. Um, but But this is the first time that we hear it since the first time we've heard it and it, it has, Uh, in my edition here the American standard paperback edition a solid um, two and a half three pages and so well I guess starting with you Wes what what is it that it says and what sticks out about it to you
2: Uh, well I think that we do get a version of the song in one of the other books I forget which one now I I mean I think that we have seen it sing a new song before but this one's different because it you know, it makes a warning and that like uh, a nearly headless Nick sort of tells us, well, or he's about to tell us, well, it does this every time that the school's in danger. So it's like, this isn't totally unprecedented, but, you know, to this generation it is. And, uh, and it's warning. Are you sure that
0: it does it in another book? I'm fairly certain that we hear that this is the first time that Harry has the opportunity to see it because in the second book, he, he hits the whopping willow. In the third one, he has the issue with the dementor. In the fourth one, a circumstance is slightly different. I do know that it figures, but do we hear another song of it?
2: I thought so. I don't really remember. Um, hmm. but well, so, yeah, way, what were you saying? like i mean it's it's a it's a song about like the the story the history of the school, right and um we we know how boring history is but but when you sing it, it's a little more interesting, and it's 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 sort of. Recasts the history in terms of the uh, the four founders as friends who then uh get in arguments, which sounds pretty relevant to what we've been discussing right so um and and I thought the most interesting part about it actually was something Hermione says at some point here is like uh she she quotes Dumbledore's words from the previous year, the end of the year, where he says, you know basically uh oh, here we go so his gift for spreading discord and enmity is very great. We can fight it only by showing an equally strong bond of friendship and trust. How do you remember stuff like that, asked Ron, looking at her in admiration. I listen, Ron, said Hermione <laughs> with a touch of a spirit. <laughs> so so it's really funny that, you know, she basically quotes the book and she's like teaching us how to read, you know, and, you know, the the sorting <laughs> hat. Similarly, the sorting hat is like, here are some wise words for you to parse out, like you have to, cause it's poetry. So you have to think about it. Um, if you want to make any sense of it and, you know, it's not like super ornate poetry or anything, but it is, it's musical. And it's like, it's elegant, how it balances the Slytherins, the Gryffindors and the Hufflepuffs and the Ravenclaws. They're sort of like hairs, you know, and, and it turns out as we might have sort of suspected Slytherin who sort of storms off and, ever since then, it's just not been quite the same. You know, I have to sort them into these separate houses. And so, yeah, it's it's an interesting like revision of this whole idea of the four houses and like what Hogwarts means, like seen in a, in a slightly darker uh, light than before.
0: And you are right, the fourth book, we hear the song. And what's interesting is there is a connection between the fourth and the fifth. The fourth one sort of lays out sort of the relationship between the houses but you make the point here that we get a little again a little more depth to the relationship we see this parody between Slytherin, Slytherin and Gryffindor which has been there the whole time Gryffindor seems to be the great rival of Slytherin the only house capable of actually defeating them for the house cup like you said but Sarah what do you see in which part of this this uh, song stuck out to you what did you see in it
1: yeah um I think there were a couple lines that struck me um, just uh at the beginning of the song, it's not as though um the four friends uh entered into this um project of teaching students with the you know, with the same values. Like it's it's not as though these differences emerged over time that they were they were there from the beginning and what they say is together we will build and teach um the four good friends decided and never did they dream that they might someday be divided right so um i, I think the word build is interesting um just because it you know it implies making something creating something from scratch there's a courage there's an ambition there's an intellect and there's a kindness that is required to be able to do all of that um and, like, there's a sense that everybody has something to bring to the table. Um, nobody or very few people build, I you know, can, can build something without help or without a variety of different tools and skill sets. Um, but on the next page where it says, um, you know, that the, things things were working out and they took the ones that they liked, um, my favorite ones are the Hufflepuff where Hufflepuff says I'll teach the lot and treat them just the same and then Hufflepuff just took the rest and taught them all she knew I just I love the idea of like the catch-all you know (laughs) like like yeah they're they're not wanted by any of the other houses but I'll teach them everything I know because I don't care what others you know I, I don't that they're here is what matters I think that that's Really beautiful. I do think it's interesting also that there's not a single Hufflepuff that's like a primary character in this in this book, and I think that's a, a glaring absence, right? That now we have Luna, who's Ravenclaw, um, but there's no there's no character that's from Hufflepuff, which to me is like the house that I would aspire to be in if I were a better person, um, but. I think the part that that interested me the most was when it says that then discord crept among us, feeding on our faults and fears. Yes. The houses that like pillars for had once held up our school now turned upon each other and divided, sought to rule. Like, I think that the part there, the parts that are important, I think are that discord creeps um, like a shadow, shall we say, um, and um, that it that fe- it feeds on faults, on imperfections, and our fears maybe of those faults being broadcast or something. Um, and then that what really hurt them um, is that each of them wanted to be in charge as opposed to working together. And and I just I think that that's interesting, right? Like i agree Uh, i noticed a very
0: similar part like just like you two the united by a common goal they had the self same yearning and so i've been recently teaching the sphere of jupiter sixth year of dante's paradiso cantos 18 through 20 what's interesting is the souls of just rulers not simply just kings um themselves make up a giant eagle and what's interesting is that kings of course speak for the people and so they speak with uh, they, they use the pronoun we. And so in and, and the beginning of our constitution in America, we say we the people, indicating that the people are king here, which is why we have an eagle as our symbol, which is a symbol, symbol of kingly authority, but it is a bald eagle, meaning that it does not have a crown. And in fact, if you go to the Milwaukee uh, public courthouse, you'll see on the wall, Vox Populi Vox Dei, the will of the people is the will of God. And so you can sort of see the sort of Christian underpinnings of uh, a democracy there and the idea that where, of where human rights come from. And that this seems to be the notion that these these uh, British wizards have in their minds that um, – uh, that if they work together, they can find a place for all wizarding folks of disparate backgrounds and of differentiated abilities, and they can bring them together in one, in one community. And so I like that the Hufflepuff, you know, she's going to find the people that aren't necessarily the most talented, but she's that's going to be a lot of people, right? Not everybody's going to be the most courageous, the most intelligent, or the most cunning or ambitious. Those are, uh, regardless of what you think is the top quality. Those are good uh, sort of rare qualities in people. To be courageous, very much rare. To be uh, entirely ambitious and actually have something behind it, like skill, which I think is not said about Slytherins, but should, very rare. And to be intelligent, of course, of course, that's very rare. Um, it is by definition rare to be intelligent, though of course we all think we are. Um, <laughs> but but I, I totally agree that um, it seems to be when we move away from unity or when Hogwarts moves from unity in order to um, uh, highlight its disparities or diversities over what brings people together that you, learn, you lose the, the force of diversity within a unity itself. When, when you stop bringing people together of very different values and opinions and skill sets in order to work towards a common goal, you simply then have a bunch of different peoples. There's a, there's a Tower of Babel situation that seems to happen when you emphasize the differences of people uh, rather than uh, using the differences of people to create a united whole. It, it's like there's a crumbling at the foundation frankly speaking, that the, the, the sorting hat is running into. Um, but okay, I have one last question for you too. And this is again, possibly a weird question and uh, maybe not a very good question. Um, but were the Daily Prophet going to smear your name? What would it say about you that would really get your goat and make you flip your lid? I'm very interested to hear that. I asked that question not knowing my own answer, but I am I'm I'm perfectly I think capable of spinning something up here, especially being in the sort of frame of mind I happen to be in today. <laughs> Wes, what do you think?
2: Uh I mean maybe if they made me out to be um some kind of elitist, you know, like I w- I wouldn't buy hot dogs from vendors on the street, but I would only you know, eat the the really ho cuisine type food or something like that. Cause, you know, I I could see that certain like at attitudes of mine might might lend themselves to that read, but but I eat, you know, pretty much anything. And I I'm not being true, like, true. I'm, I'm totally <laughs> here. Like that is literally the case. But I, I mean like I, I sort of um uh I, I try to like take wisdom from lots and lots of different sources, you know, but but I do sort of come across a lot of times as being like, you know, arrogant or like, you know, these things are good and those other things, well, they're not worth your time, you know, so maybe something like that. I don't know.
0: Very perspicacious, very interesting, Wes. I, could, I would be very frustrated for you if somebody were to call you elitist, especially working with me as much as you do. Sarah, what about you?
1: Hmm, I think, well, one of the things that I uh, resent the most in other people, um, and that I think part of the, I think a lot of times what we um, resent the most in other people is what we resent the most in ourselves. I'm not a psychologist, but that doesn't seem like a big jump, Um, that, you know, we we find in others um, the things. Which is interesting when you think about Harry, right? Nobody's giving him the attention that he thinks he deserves and yet when they do give him attention, it's not the attention that he wants. But he's not really good about giving other people attention, um and, and praise, you know? Anyway, um I think um there are a lot of things that could be said about me that are that would that I would shrug off like Dumbledore and as like inaccurate, you know, like if somebody printed that I was like not caring about other people's feelings I'd be like yeah that's a lie you know I almost to the point I think of sometimes caring too much about it I think I can be overly sensitive but um there are certain things that if they were printed I would fear people would believe um because I fear that they're true and one that the I think that's, it's the thing that bothers me most about other individuals, particularly people in power and organizations, and that's, like, moral hypocrisy, Um, uh, like, being um, incapable or unwilling to uh, walk the walk that you claim to be about, and um, it's one of the reasons that um, I'm really glad that I work where I work, and it's one of the things that really bothered me and bothers me to this day about the church and about um, where I've worked in the past when I see what looks like to me decisions being made um not because of who we say we are, but because of what is expedient or convenient or um, acceptable or palatable to the to the people who matter um, to your bottom line. and I think um, uh, you know, that's all I want to say about it, uh, without going into details, but it's something that really, like, really irks me and makes me angry, and I think, I think it, like, like, to the point of Harry, angry, and I think if that were said about me, I would be really mad, but I would also be really afraid that it was true. Um, I think there, it's really hard to be, you know, just to to know who you are and to act like who you say you are. Um, you know, that's that's saintly. And um that's why saints suffer. And I think it's good to aspire to that, but I I'm fairly certain that I fall short of the expectations that I have for a lot of other people in that sense, making me a hypocrite and I think that would be that would be very hurtful because I would fear that it would be true.
0: Um, Powerful so, yeah. stuff. Well, in, in my case, I, and I recently had an argument where this sort of thing came up, so I, I have the luck of having uh, experienced this recently, but to have my opinion discounted for who I am and the gifts that I have that seem obvious to somebody and uh, to be represented in a one-sided way potentially as like say an intelligent white male and to have my voice discounted precisely because of my perceived gifts and advantages without seeing in any way like Harry what I've been through to become who I am. I recently had that done to me and it was theory inducing and it's absolutely absolutely wrong and to have somebody say that I might be angry precisely because of my social grouping rather than my ability to consciously perceive a situation that is unjust and to pinpoint exactly what makes it unjust produces absolute fury in me. And I do see this in my own future and I have seen this in my present. And it is to me, the ultimate mark of injustice to have a thinker Preci- uh, specifically me who has spent his entire adult life trying to figure out what I've tried to figure out the connections between narrative and consciousness and getting pretty, I'd say doing pretty good work on this, especially now. Um, and to have my intelligence, which at this point it's on other people to prove themselves, um, more valuable in their contributions, uh, with their intelligence, uh, in their specific fields, but to have it just ridden off because of my social grouping as if, my, as if my function in this world is not to use my intelligence, and as if uh, if I were to feel anger, it would simply be because anybody else would feel anger, and, or because, or if I see something based on reading twenty books about it with extensive bibliographies, that that was in some way motivated by by some some feeling of loss or anger within myself that was simply projected on me in order to group me with. Um, with uh, unthinking individuals and to write me off. So to be written off for who people think it is that I am, rather than actually seeing my body of work, which at this point is 240 lectures strong online, which I give away for free. um, I I think that is precisely what would drive me up a wall. Um, I think you can hear it in my voice as well. And so bottoms up, fellow teachers. Hmm fellow pocketeers
2: right on yeah Yeah, i wanted to throw in that we i think as far as i can tell we are on the schedule for NorwestCon um for like the uh i think it's the 20th of of april so the the day before easter i think that we will do a little live presentation and we'll try to skype you in if you aren't able to make it i know you have other travel plans alex but uh you'll be there in spirit I, i take it and uh, we'll we'll certainly uh, try to, you know, make it proud. Yeah, I'll just, uh, you
0: know, we'll use the flu powder and I'll appear in the fireplace and do my best with that sort of thing. You know, even when we're apart, I'm very much together with you two in this and uh, never to be like Harry with Hermione and Ron as he currently is, I, I hope, myself. And um, we'll, yeah, we'll see what I can do. I, I hope to be there with you um, in voice, if not in body, and um, I'm still trying to figure out uh, what the plans are. Uh, with that, I might end up being local. I thought I was going to be doing international travel. Um, some things may have changed a little bit. I'll keep you updated on that. But it might be easier rather than harder to do that than I had at first expected um and so i guess you two are the prefects right now and i'm the i'm the you know troubled (laughs) the troubled miscreant the the only time you would not (laughs) want to be identified with harry potter this seems to be my moment
2: (laughs) oh right on we will uh just assemble the midgets for you and (laughs) all right all right so Well, y'all, I'm
0: really, um, I I have to say, I'm going to give another plug for listening to books. I've been listening to books um, more and more lately. I'm really loving it. I love how natural it is. And I've been listening to this one and I I really love the narrator on Audible, but um, it makes it very easy to get through large swathes of book. And, you know, especially with books that you, that I've read before, I don't feel like I'm losing that much from this. Um, But well y'all do you want to do another six chapters is that in any way reasonable to go um through detention with Dolores Percy and Padfoot the Hogwarts high inquisitor in the Hogshead, educational decree number 24 Dumbledore's army or or should we stop before then what do y'all think
2: That that sounds good to me like I'm we didn't, good. we didn't get to Miss Umbridge yeah. yet we can i mean probably talk about her and lots of other things if we read those chapters for next time yeah, leaving her in the shadows
0: yeah. for now. All right. Yeah, well, for sure. Well, that's excellent work, y'all. Again, always happy to share. Always happy to share Drinking the leaguey Cauldron with you, too. Um, and talk shop, talk shop, talk magic shop, in this case. Um, well, another wonderful time had. I, and I hope you all have a good week and a good weekend ahead of you. It's raining down here in California for the seventh straight week in Southern California. So we're feeling like Oregonians down here. Um, so I hope for better weather for you up north. And though I don't think you're getting it.
1: <laughs> no, it's actually oh, really nice no. here. Yeah.
0: Oh, all right. good. Good, good, good. Nice. Well, the sun shines even if it doesn't shine on all and in, in the same moments. So there it yeah. is. There it is. Well, all right. Until next time, next all time right. we have the next six chapters or so 13 through 18. I think we're back on schedule to do this on Monday if it's um, if that works for both the you i know the last couple weeks we haven't been able to do it there but there's nothing like getting back on schedule if possible um y'all are the prefects now so you know just keep me in line and uh I'm, i'm i'm perfectly um i'm i think i'm perfectly able to do it this monday so i'm looking forward to talking to you all again very much
1: i will i will check up my schedule and see if monday works but if not we can rearrange
0: We can rearrange. All right. Well, until next time.
1: All right. Cheers, fellas. Cheers. Cheers. Take it easy.